Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Patriots Report. My name is Christopher Price, the Boston Globe. Patriots win week two victory over the Jets, 25-6. to And as usual, let's broad brush it right off the top. Stuff I liked, Damian Harris's bounce back. Damian Harris had a rough end to the week one loss against the Dolphins, but was able to return and was able to run really well, I thought, against the New York defensive front. Uh, particularly the the really the defining run, I thought, in that game for the Patriots was that touchdown run where he bounced off multiple tacklers on, those, on his way to the end zone. I thought it was a nice story, and it's good to see him back running hard, putting that fumble behind him. We talked a little bit last week about how fumbles can kind of linger when it comes to a running back's mindset, but I think the sight of him doing what he did against the Jets, that's a good sign for him, and it's a good sign for the New England game moving forward. The four picks of Zach Wilson, uh, J.C. Jackson came away with two, Adrian Phillips came away with one, and Devin McCourty came away with the other. I think that's a great sign. Anytime you can force turnovers, young quarterback, old quarterback, whatever the case may be, you're going to win a ball game. Uh, the improvements in the red zone. It's not perfect in the red zone right now. It's not perfect by any means in the red zone, but it was better than it was in in, in week one against the Dolphins. Um, there were also fewer penalties, which is good, not great, but fewer penalties. It certainly appears to be headed in the right direction. And then the two guys who really, in addition to Harris, stood out for me, Nick Folk, continues to be absolute nails when it comes to field goals, and James White, two veterans leading the way, performing very, very well, going above and beyond, being able to lift this team, in large part, being able to lift the team to a 25-6 to win over the New York Jets. The stuff I didn't like, the offensive tackle play, it's not where it needs to be right now, and that goes beyond Trent Brown's uh, injury and, and the fact that he was missing for week two against the Jets. This is a position that needs to be addressed. It needs to be addressed absolutely immediately. Um, the the inability to finish off drives with touchdowns as opposed to field goals. They're still stalling out in the red zone. They're still stalling out in the opposition's uh, on, on the opposition side of the field. And, and while Nick Folk continues to be very very good. Uh, you know, the margin for error when it comes to beating teams, especially later in the season, good teams, you got to finish off drives with touchdowns instead of field goals. And the, the last thing for me that stood out was the run defense. I know that a lot of that was in garbage time and it was late when it came to the Jets ground game. But again, that's also something that needs to be cleaned up. You know, we're talking about margin for error against better teams. You're not going to be able to allow good teams to run the football consistently. We saw that last year. It's in an area where the Patriots really struggled. They can't afford to have that as an Achilles heel this year. It's good, you know, again, when you consider the fact that a lot of those yards came in garbage time. But it's something that needs to be addressed moving forward. All right, let's bring in our guest... Good friend of mine, Heath Evans, formerly the NFL Network, played for the Dolphins, played for the Saints, played for the Patriots, can offer some unique insight into New England, the mindset in that building at Gillette Stadium on a week-to-week basis, but can also help us understand how the Saints are preparing to face the Patriots this Sunday at Gillette Stadium. Heath, welcome in. Heath Evans, this is the first question I think will be the first question to everyone who comes on this podcast, at least for the first month or so. What are some of your early impressions of Mac Jones? Um, he is a he's a Nick Saban, Bill Belichick product. <laughs> you you always try to 
watch a quarterback's composure. Uh, during my days at NFL Network, I, I took a lot of heat uh, for calling a spade a spade um, about emotional stamina of quarterbacks. People love eye candy. People love a great arm. People love great throws. People love all the things that can help a quarterback be a good quarterback. But the one thing you must have is vision. I believe we clearly see that he sees the field well. And as the game speeds up, his eyes don't get real narrow. His eyes seem to slow down and they seem to space out, which the great quarterbacks and running backs and DBs, wide receivers, they all have it. Um, but, but there's not these high-charged emotions with him, that there's not this uh, losing control when something goes bad, something doesn't go in his favor, and it's important. And I think it's one of the things that's so overlooked in player development and in player scouting is what's, what's the kid's temperament? Sure, everyone's talented at this level, um, but, but the emotional triggers of players are easy to spot and so far, uh, I can see why Bill uh, and, and the crew were happy to draft him where they did. It's funny. One of the things that you bring up, I'm reminded of a quote from a former, another former Patriot in Matt Chatham, who says that sometimes we want the shiny, sparkly thing when really, in truth, it, it's just kind of, the, you know, the thing that's going to get it done. And Mac Jones, to me, strikes, at least right now with this stage of his development, strikes me as a guy who is capable of taking what the defense gives him, not taking too many shots down the field, playing smart, controlled, relatively conservative football. Yeah, and that's those mental disciplines and the mental stamina to, to not just do it in the first quarter, but when it, you know, what we see in the, the Miami game, you know, it's a tough loss, close loss, but there were some controlled mindsets that a lot of times, especially youthful players, those mindsets might start sharp in that first half. Mm -hmm. But when things really matter, those things kind of seem to wane at times. So mm -hmm. he's got a long way to go. We all know that. But there's the intangibles look nice. And that, that gives, I think, good eyes, great hope. The, the transition that the Patriots have undergone over the last year plus now with the position, losing Brady, Signing Cam, I know you're an Auburn guy, so I know that you probably have a lot of love for Cam, but then moving on to Mac, it hasn't been ideal, but what? how do you think Bill has handled the transition, at least at this stage of the process? Well, I think the COVID crushed Bill. Mm -hmm. We, and I say we, I think anyone that's ever been a part of that organization, you beat teams with preparation. You beat teams with the ability to outmeet and outprepare and outstudy and outscout everything and everyone. So you take a COVID off season um, where everything was stripped away, mm -hmm. and then a COVID season where everything from meeting room environments to time together and mask and you pull away so much of the greatness of what Bill has built over his 20 plus years with his staff and intelligent players. Bill would never tell you that he's going to line up week in and week out and say, Oh, I've got the most talented team out there every week. That, that's there's been some years. Oh, seven. I mean, you would have had a hard time stacking up a roster versus our roster. Mm -hmm. um, but the intangibles of how Bill has so successfully, so successfully won were stripped away. And I think we saw that. And then you take Cam who, who really had to come in and, take a whole mindset of the way I've always done things completely 180 it. Mm -hmm. And, and that's just tough. And so was it fair? 
Bill's like, we hate that word. Life's not fair. Um, but it was a challenging prospect from the start for Cam to come in there and do what Josh demands down in and down out. The mental disciplines that we got spoiled with, having Brady under center, it's never going to happen again. <laughs> like, it's, that's not, I'm not spitting in Mac Jones's face. I'm not, Aaron Rodgers, it, it, we don't see what he brings to the table. You know, I remember chatting once with Wes Welker after he had an opportunity to play with Peyton and he loved Peyton up and praised him so thoroughly, but he still said there was just such a difference between playing with the two. Mm-hmm. And that that's not to tear down Peyton. We, Peyton, you know, he's probably two, if you're going to put him in order of talents and giftedness, mm-hmm. um, but losing Brady, you can't quantify that. Even though we went to Tampa, it still doesn't quantify what that team lost and what Bill lost. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it reminds me of hearing, when, whenever someone would go down, Bill would be at the podium and say, well, you know, just one person can't replace Vince Wilford. One, one person's not going to be able to replace Tom Brady. So it's a process, and I understand that. It makes a lot of sense. The Patriots running game really has been up and down over the first two weeks of the season. Two fumbles week one, but a big run from Damian Harris that really defined, in a lot of ways, their game two win over the Jets. How important is it to have someone like Ivan Fears, as well as maybe a veteran like James White, leading that group, providing steadiness and a consistent message? Well, let me start with James. You know, and I don't know James. I've only just got to enjoy watching him. Consistency is key in everything that you do in our game, from the punting game to the coaching game to the hydration game. It's it's a mark of true champions. And that's just what you've seen from him for just back to back to back to back years. That is irreplaceable. Mm-hmm. Young players don't realize how much um, of a value getting to see for me a Kevin Falk to, okay, hey, there is a guy that I can basically just copy. It's just huge. And a lot of teams do not have that. Mm -hmm. Ivan is really, really great at details. The running back position, he taught me so much, you know, between him and Scar and Josh and Bill and the intimate time that I was able to spend with them, especially in early 05 and 06, when I was still earning everyone's trust. Those are just irreplaceable meetings, the one-on-ones as well as the group settings. And so, these players, um, listen, <laughs> I, I will never speak for Bill, but Bill believes that, you know, my, my running back coach in Auburn said it's better off to have died as a small child than fumble the football. Um, I've, never, <laughs> I've, I've never heard Bill say that, but Bill probably believes it. So um, that ball security is it's a it's a pride factor. And the way Bill always taught it was it's a selfishness factor. If we're careless with that ball. We don't care about this team. I bought into that hook, line, and sinker, and so did Brady, and so did Sammy Morris, and so did Corey Dillon, and Patrick, all, all the all the kind of the greats that have been through there. I'm definitely not putting my name in those greats, but it's a mindset that we have to believe, and those young players will either start to believe it, respond accordingly, or they just won't be there, and, and that's the beauty and the stiffness of Bill that has created championship legacy, but Ivan um, is as gifted as it comes at teaching running back vision running back understanding of schemes and then being mentally prepared to go perform on Sunday. And, and the running back room and running back position is, is a, I don't want to say it's a lost art in so many teams. It's always been like, let's just find the most talent. Mm-hmm. Well, Bill has proved over the years that maybe the most talented guys aren't the best for what we're doing. You take a Rex Burkhead, supremely talented, but just smart, sharp player, Kevin Falk, you name it, the list can go on and on. I, it, I've always been struck by the fact that Ivan now with Dante being gone, Ivan is the only coach on that step that predates Bill. 
There's a reason that Bill's, you know, the reason that Bill kept him around and, you know, his, his resume and his ability to bring out the best in that room on a consistent basis with so many different guys rotating through there really speaks to him in his work as a coach. I, I want to get to 2008 and I'm kind of drawing a, a few parallels here. You were with the team in 08, the year Brady was injured and it was Castle at quarterback with the understanding, look, that all quarterbacks develop at a different rate. What do you recall about how Belichick maybe worked with Castle that year and how much did he put on the shoulders of the supporting cast? Were there conversations in that locker room saying, look, we need to help the kid here in this situation. We need to do what we can do to set him up for success. Yeah, there was a conversation Bill and I had. He's like, hey, you're not going to play as much because we're going to spread all these teams out so Matt can see the field. I'm like, doggone it. Look at that. <laughs> um, well, listen, we had so many things to rest on. You know, we had so much defensive leadership from coaches, but from players that really got to pour into Matt. And I remember in our practices, I remember the the jovial um, Vrabes, you know, and so many of our players that would literally try to mentally torment Tommy, who became much more like, hey, let's build him up. Let's encourage him. You know, we'd have our team one-on-ones and you'd have Harrison and, you know, Brew and Vrabes you know, calling out the plays in advance, pissing Brady off was a lot of that stuff kind of passed away. And you saw much more of a, this kind of like all encompassing, Hey, let's come together and build, you know, Matt up. And we did. And Matt performed extremely well and got better and better and better. And I would have loved to have seen, you know, the jets not cupcake it, you know, week 17, where we get a chance to, to go play in the playoffs to see what that team could have accomplished. Cause could we have won a Super Bowl? Nobody knows. But I, I do think there was teams that we were uh, fully capable of beating in that playoff run. You you guys were coming on toward the end of that year. Yeah, I we remember were. you guys were really starting, and Matt in particular, yeah. after a, a rocky start, you guys were really coming on that year. And it would have been, you know, to your point, I think it would have been interesting to see what that team could have done. I do think it's interesting that that team really understood the margin for error was slim to none at that point without Tom, because obviously Tom, and look, we're not telling tales here. He can paper over a lot of deficiencies, uh-huh. but without him under center, you know, there were things like you guys, you guys took a record low number of penalties. You know, you guys were really good on third down, but on both sides of the ball, you guys were making plays for that young kid. And, and I think that there are maybe some parallels, obviously it's very early in the season, but you know, there could be some parallels here between that team and this team. It's just fascinating to me the way it kind of history starts to kind of repeat itself a little bit. Yeah. Well, defensive stars are going to need to be defensive stars mm-hmm. and, and they are going to need to feel in just like glee or like kind of um, <laughs> take on that role with glee. Like mm-hmm. they, they need to take ownership of a space of like, Hey, we're not mad Brady's down and go carry this. And that was the attitude. But listen, the, the Brewskis and the Vrabels and the Harrisons and some of those greats, those are mindsets that were developed under Bill and before Bill for decades of, of quality ball. And so um, it's been so long since I've actually been in an NFL locker room. I, I so joyfully reflect on the locker rooms that I was able to be a part of because they were so selfless and they were so, hey, what do we got to do for this team to win? You know, do, do we have to forego sacks? Do we have to forego catches? Do we have to forego runs? Do we, what do we have to forego to win? And in that, eight, that 08 team, there, there was a lot of um, selfless behavior from coaches, sacrificial hours preparing that ball club to win, especially when it mattered late in the year. Um, and then um, as players, what needs to be done? 
And so we'll, we'll see if this team has that selfless disposition. Saints have had a wild start to their season, moving their base of operations because of the hurricane. They had a big win. They had a blowout loss this past week. They've had to deal with a COVID outbreak, lost some coaches. You've played for Sean Payton before. Take us inside that facility. What sort of message is he delivering to the team heading into this weekend's game against the Patriots? Screw your excuses. (laughs) He's like, he's so much like Bill. Like he just doesn't, in so many ways, he doesn't blink. And and that's why they've had um, so much of the manufactured success that they've had under Sean and and Drew, of course, you know, and a lot of great, I mean, they've had the Jonathan Villanueva's and the Will Smith's. They've had a lot of great stars there on both sides of the ball. Um, Players like Marcus Colston have been irreplaceable in that offense for just mental toughness. But but Sean is going to approach it from a position where what was it? Did they have eight coaches out last week? I, mean, I think it was close to eight. It, it, if, if it wasn't eight, it was close to it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think early in the week I had seen a six number that was going to miss and then another two added late. I was I was talking to my wife. I'm like, I don't even know how you coach an NFL game down five coaches, you know, much less eight. And then you have players restricted too. Um, I'm trying to devise the the structure of the sideline of quality control of everything. And so I don't even know how they were able to do it. Um, But Sean could care less. I mean, Sean's like Bill. Listen, give me 42 players. Oh, we only got 19. Okay, I'll take you on with 19. And the message is going to be, we have what it takes. Are we going to do what it takes? One of the things that struck me was the fact that we were talking about the quarterback situation. The Patriots and the Saints are kind of going through the same thing right now, at least at quarterback. They're both basically hitting the reset button after a period of some serious stability. Bill's moved on from Brady. Peyton's done the same in New Orleans with Drew. The Saints are are basically, though, a year behind the process. If you're looking at the two, you know, the two teams running on parallel tracks, are there lessons that Peyton can take from what happened with Bill and that transition and apply them this year with Jameis and the Saints? It's a good question, buddy. I'm sure, but I'm not smart enough to know what they are. I think, listen, last year was such a wash. I mean, I, I love thinking um, about how to do things. And so I was blessed to be around some great coaches for 10 years. You know, Mike Holmgren had a very different way than Belichick and Sean had a very different way than Bill. Um, but there were still some great lessons to be learned. I, I honestly, once you got to probably October last year and COVID kind of, everything had kind of regulated itself, mm-hmm. you might miss a player or two, but there seemed to kind of locked in, okay, this is what 2020 is going to offer us. Um, I could manage how you manage that, but building a team, what we talked about earlier in the interview for everything from Josh trying to bring in and and recreate a mindset for Cam of how we do things here. Um, Listen, Jameis at least has massive amounts of NFL experience. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, the Patriots weren't afforded that this year. You know, Um, I do think there's parallels that that Sean has probably stripped down to every level because I know that maniac and that's who he is. He's like, what can we learn? Um, I just don't know what those things would be off the top of my head. Okay, last question for me, and it's kind of an offbeat question. You you brought up Corey Dillon a little bit early on. He finished <laughs> his career with 11,241 yards, 20th all-time. Two things. One, I noticed that every retired running back, Frank Gore's obviously in, and he's top 12,000. Every retired back who's hit 12,000 yards has gotten into Canton. And he actually has more rushing yards in fewer seasons in the league than a couple of guys who were in there, like O.J. Simpson. Make a case for him to me 
as a Hall of Famer, because I'm intrigued by his candidacy and the possibility that exists there for a guy like Corey Dillon to get into Canton. Look, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it here. Maybe he, it's because he wasn't great with us at times in the media. You know, maybe it's the, the struggles early on in, you know, leaving, leaving Cincinnati, but, but make a case as a fellow player, as a fellow running back, as a guy who was a teammate who was in the same backfield with him, make a case for me as Corey Dillon as a Hall of Famer. There's three things that we, well, there's, there's about 15 things that I would measure running backs for if I was drafting running backs. But there's three things that any, you know, untrained eye can see. Can he catch? Can he pass block? And can he run the rock? Any of those three areas, is he not great in all of them? Mm-hmm. He did not miss pass protections. You could trust him in any scenario. When players got hurt on third and short, third and long, screen game, deep pass shot game, whatever it was, Corey was fully trusted in that offense. Um, run game. That joker made my job. He made me better than what I was, especially when I was trying to figure out who Bill wanted me to be and who I needed to be for our team. He constantly put me in right positions because of angles, because of his knowledge of understanding run schemes. So what most people don't understand about running backs is it's not just running to daylight. It's setting up daylight. It's me taking Copen and Mankins and all and, 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 and making them right with my proper angles and timing. I've been around a lot of great backs. Sean Alexander was a beast. Kevin, like the list can go on and on and on. Corey was amazing at it. And he was selfless in his preparation to constantly put five O-linemen, a tight end, whoever was with Dan Graham, you name it, to constantly put them in the right position. His screen game ability. His ability to catch the ball out of the backfield in, in, in just all kinds of different sets. There is no weakness to his game. And then if you want to go to who would I rather have the ball in their hands, fourth quarter, in some championship level game late in January, find me a back that when you need three and a half yards and your O-line's working with a, a backup guard and maybe a, a backup tackle, and there's just some deficiencies and beat down from 21 games of a se- or, you know, 18 games of a season, give me another back you're going to choose. He's going to run two people over. He's never going to fumble the football. And, and, and he's going to do it with this big old groovy, groovy you know, grin on his face and make everyone laugh while he's doing it. So <laughs> it's an easy sell. Obviously, I'm biased. I love the dude. But just look at basic football 101 for running backs. He was great at all of them. Keith, this has been perfect, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Is there anything you want to promote? Anything you got going on? Anything you want to tell people about? I appreciate you. Uh, This says Built Ready. Um, It's just a place where, man, I'm trying to give everything away. We don't sell anything. Uh, We have daily workouts for free. If guys that are just kind of the dad bods just getting off the couch, we've got a four-day program. We've got a six-day program. Uh, We've got some much harder workouts as well. Um, We have... Uh, daily Bible reading plans, a weekly Bible study, where's a free app. Um, I'm just literally trying to take away all the stuff that I've been given over the years and give back to men to, to teach them how to master their manhood. Um, yes, it's from a biblical worldview, uh, but men need, we, we, we need friendship. Um, COVID has isolated everybody. It's the most deadly thing for our souls. We need to hug and love on people. The beautiful thing about NFL locker rooms is just a a bunch of dudes, white dudes, black dudes, Hispanic dudes, you name it, 
all different ages and races and religions coming together. And, and that's what we need. And so that's what Built Ready is for. It's free. There's no upsell. We're not trying to sell anything. There's no agenda. We just want to love men, help men kind of through a really a, a difficult season of history. Sounds good. Heath, again, thank you very much for taking the time to do this, man. I really appreciate it. Always appreciate you, brother. All right. So that's going to put the wraps on another episode of the Patriots Report. I'm Christopher Price of the Boston Globe. I'm very happy you guys were able to join us this week. Join us each and every week here on the Believe Podcast Network. Make sure you reach out to me via email or Twitter. I'm at cpriceglobe. That's cpriceglobe on Twitter. You can also send me an email at christopher.price at globe.com. Looking forward to a great weekend of football. We got Patriots, Saints at Gillette Stadium. Hope everyone enjoys the games. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.